Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of See Here is dedicated to the memory of the incomparable songwriter, storyteller, Mr. Tom T. Hall. May you rest in peace. to episode 88 of the See Here podcast. We're part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. I'm Bucky Bishtinsky. Joining me on the line is Rodeo Tim Merrill. Hey, hey. And Doc Stickwell over in Buff. I was going to say, that must make me Doc Sticky. Right. <laughs> hey, everyone. Or should I say howdy? Howdy. And you might be able to guess we're going to be discussing a film that is country music related. We're going to be focusing on 1984's film Songwriter. So um, we'll go to a break, play the trailer, and then we'll be back to espouse some homespun country tales. We'll be back in a moment. TriStar Pictures presents Songwriter. We used to take a ballot the story of two great friends in a bad old business. What the hell is wrong with you? Nothing a million dollars won't fix. Chris Christopherson as Blackie. The working girl's favorite and the housewife's companion, Blackie. You good looking son, don't you never die. Willie Nelson is Doc. Well, you know, next party we have, we ought to get at the ballot. A valet with a mallet. When are you going to grow up and be a responsible person? Who do you screw to get out of this place? It's one for the money and two for the gold. They've been set up. When's the last time you bought any bull semen, pal? It's a $100,000 bull, right? How many tickets did you sell? Ripped off. 7200 Building holes five. Well, airlines do that all the time. And taken for a ride. Selling your soul is one thing, but your copyrights, could you? I told you you were crazy to sign a deal with anyone named Rodeo Rocky. Sounds like some kind of ice cream. They didn't get mad, they got even. Ta-da! Now they're doing the driving. We could do no
president of Lone Star Music, Mr. Blackie Bowe. We did it. Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson in Songwriter. Also starring Leslie Ann Warren, Rip Torn, and Melinda Dillon. Songwriter. Nobody ever had a better time getting even. And we're back from break. See here, episode 88. The film this time around is Songwriter. The year was 1984, directed by one Alan Rudolph, written by Bud Shrake and starring Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Melinda Dillon. I think I've only seen her in Close Encounters of the Third Kind besides this. And a man who we have discussed on this program before, an actor I'm becoming more and more enamored with, Rip Torn. We previously yep. discussed him in Payday. He was in One Trick Pony, but we'll come back to that. And Leslie Ann Warren. Willie, Chris Christopherson, and Rip Torn all starred in a pair of telemovies in the early 90s, I discovered, called A Pair of Aces and Another Pair of Aces, which the second one was directed by Bill Bixby, My Favourite Martian, Incredible Hulk, and was also written by Bud Shrake. So uh, this is a, a team that liked working with each other. Both these films were unlikely buddy movies, but we're here to talk about a very likely buddy movie. The IMDb slash letterbox description says, Doc Jenkins is a country music star who's become fed up with the industry. With some help from Blackie Buck, his old partner, and Gilda, a rising star he's been mentoring, he tries to get back at Rodeo Rocky, a ruthless promoter who swindled him out of publishing rights to his songs. Doc also sets out to get together with his kindly ex-wife, Honey. Bernie, this is your pick. What's your history with this film? And probably even more interestingly, what's your history with the music of Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson? Okay, so... Uh as far as the film goes, this is a first time viewing for me and I literally just plucked it out of the air and I'll be honest, I did choose it mainly because of the director Alan Rudolph, who I am a fan of, although it turns out he wasn't the initial director on this and he replaced the original director apparently three days before shooting. don't think it was particularly a passion project for him or anything. And as far as Willie and Chris goes, long time Willie Nelson fan one of the uh, all-time great country songwriters before he became one of the all-time great performers. And the fact that he wrote Crazy surely is enough to uh, guarantee him a, a spot in history and a spot in heaven as well. Crazy Crazy for feeling so lonely I'm crazy Crazy for feeling so blue. And Chris Christopherson, you know, what can I say? He's been in Steven Seagal films. Wasn't he in A Star Is Born with Barbara Streisand? He, he was. He was. Yeah. Watch closely now. You'll observe a curious exchange of energy. in Alfredo Garcia with Warren Oates. He's in Cisco Pike as well, which I don't know if either of you have ever seen, but that's a really oh, yeah. great late 60s counterculture-y type movie. And, you know, those uh, he wrote some great songs as well. Me and Bobby McGee was in. Mm, yes, yes, that was him. Feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Feeling good was good enough for me. Good enough for me and Bobby McGee. 
friend of mine had the LP many moons ago. A friend of mine had uh, Jesus was the Capricorn, and I thought, wow, just look at that cover and look at that title. Yeah. So, uh, you know. He wrote one of my favorites, uh, Sunday Morning Coming Down. Well, I woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head, didn't hurt. Beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad, so I had one more for dessert. Oh, yes. sure, yeah. So again, uh, accomplished singer, songwriter, and actor as well. He's in, I think, at least another one Alan Rudolph film. He's in Trouble in Mind, I think. Is, yes, uh, he is. A favourite of mine. So yeah, there you go. Tim? Alan, Chris, and Willie. I've got a long history with Willie and, and Christopherson. All the greatest writers, as much as there's a rivalry between a lot of them, there's this brotherhood as well. I mean, it was Christopherson who actually discovered John Prine. These guys pushing everybody else. Guys that are just like, you think I'm good? This guy's even better than me. And then you got Willie, the world's oldest hippie. I've just loved their music from day one. They're two of the still standing lone survivors of country country. Everybody else, Waylon and Cash and all those guys now uh, part of ways, those two are still the two that are uh, still out there holding the torch. It's a, and it's an incredible thing. I guess you could say they're both sort of original outlaw country as well, aren't they? Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, two of the yeah. last. Not to go off on a tangent here for a minute, had either one of you guys seen the um, Mike Judge series, The Tales from the Tour Bus? I'm fully aware of it, but to my shame, no, I have not. If yeah. you watch the first season, it's all the outlaw country guys. And you get how Willie was the one to make the connection about the hippies. More hippies showing up to see him. And not just, you know, he was the one almost like, he was kind of like Moses brought the tribes together, you know. The shit kickers and the hippies. And then he was the one that talked Whalen into coming down to Texas. And then Whalen got wise to how much of a wider audience they could really get. Because at one time it was just saloons and shit kickers. But then as the 60s unfolded and into the 70s, then suddenly the audience, like I say, it branched into a wider spectrum. And I think there was a lot of the film, not to spoil anything so far, but the film to me that really they tried to put a flag in the ground in terms of the film industry with country music was uh, Altman's Nashville. Robert Altman's Nashville is five days in the lives of 24 unforgettable people. That's a lot of characters, so listen closely. And I think that was the film that kind of initially was like, you know, we want to document being on the road, the whole life and trials and tribulations of a country singer. And this film was not Nashville. No, but how many directors are Robert Altman? That's a very defined style. You know, we've got this wide spider web and we're going to take all these elements from these different places and bring it all together altman's his own thing to that be fair being... i don't think this is trying to be nashville you know no, with that being said i don't even think this film is payback either Jeez, all right well payday payday i meant sorry yeah, yeah, or yeah. payback well in a sad case not pay. <laughs> so my own connection to their music i gotta confess i have not been like a huge follower of either artist although i mean i've long had a copy of the silver tongue devil and i from chris and i do have about you know four or so willie nelson albums i mean i think probably teatro Where he 
had the uh, Daniel Lanois treatment alongside Emmylou Harris back in the 90s was probably the moment where I thought, oh, I better start paying attention. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, so I got hold of the Willie Nelson and Leon Russell collaboration. Oh, yeah. That's the stuff I love. Uh, Honeysuckle Rose soundtrack. And I even got what I thought was one of the most unlikely collaborations, but it's really good, is an album called Here We Go Again that he did with Wynton Marsalis. Let me tell you about a girl I know She's my baby and she lives next door Every morning before the sun comes up She brings me coffee in my favorite cup And that's why, that's why I know Hallelujah, I just love her so it works really well. Don't go trying to think that two musicians from different styles are really that different. They made it work, and it sounds completely natural for both of them. So Right. Well, there's somebody once wisely said years and years ago that you know you have a great song when your song can be played in so many different formats, hmm. and the song still stands. I've heard reggae versions of Johnny Cash that are amazing. And it's just all based on the strength of the song. It's not the style. I think part of that is Willie's guitar playing. I mean, there's a definite jazz influence. You can hear Django Reinhardt and, and stuff in there as well as other sort of blues and country styles. So, um, you know, it, him making an LP with, with a, a jazz musician kind of makes sense, you know, in a weird way. In a way, like his voice is more of a crooner sort of voice. And if he hadn't gone down the country road, you just sort of imagine that he might have gone straight into jazz or at least Frank Sinatra style crooners or something like that along with Tony Bennett. I think he's got a functional voice but it works so well because of his phrasing mm, so yes. like you say in, in a crooner style that that's what it's all about isn't it the phrasing. But about Willie being able to play with anybody have you guys ever heard of him play with uh, the American rock band the Super Suckers? Well it's a bloody Mary morning baby left me without Sometime in the night And I'm flying down to Houston Forgetting her the nature of my flight now I've got to hear that. I do like the Super yeah. Suckers. Yep, they did Bloody Mary Morning. Yeah, they're actually on The Tonight Show doing that live. And it's amazing because, I mean, again, a band that you would never expect to be influenced by Willie were completely influenced by Willie because of such a, his guitar playing, like Bernie said, and his songwriting. Wait, who'd, who'd have thought Willie would ever uh, end up playing with a band named after a, a giant dildo? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I told you you were crazy to sign a deal with anyone named Rodeo Rocky. Sounds like some kind of ice cream for Christ. Amongst all the other films that you mentioned with Chris Christopherson, there's one that I saw years ago that I really, really love. This is a John Sayles film, Lone Star. And oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. He was a nasty piece of work in that film. What was that film he did with Treat Williams, too? There was a, where there were border cops in the 80s, and I remember seeing that. Oh, and shit, then, yeah. And then he was in The Sailor Who Fell From Sea with Grace. Yeah, yeah, The Sailor Who Fell From Grace with the Sea. I read that. That was a, Japanese, that was a Japanese book to begin with. And then I watched the film. Like, there's some characters. If you've seen the film, you know who I'm talking about. That you just want to hurl off a cliff. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you know, he was infamous. I mean, the last time I actually remember seeing him on the big screen, believe it or not, was in Blade. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. He dies in the first one, but comes back in the second one, doesn't he? Right. Oh. Worked for Leonard Nimoy, didn't it? Well, yeah. I think you go. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you asking Gilda to put her name on your song? Because I can't put my name on it. Rodeo Rocky would get all the money. Why didn't you ask me? Because you're a songwriter. That's the answer. 
That girl's never written anything in her life. It's okay for people like that who can't write to say they wrote something they didn't write. They do that all the time. But you're a songwriter, and you can't say you wrote something that you didn't write unless you really wrote it. Say that again. I can't. So let's look into the film itself. So I'm gathering from your initial comments there, Tim, that you weren't that crazy about this overall. Let me just set the record straight, okay? When you're dealing with a film about music, I think the thing that you really have to hinge everything on are the performances. And as much as these guys, man, are like living legends, and they're born to be on the stage, in this film, I just think a lot of the performances really fall flat, or they just seem really stilted, or they just seem like like they're really kind of captured by somebody who really isn't familiar with capturing live music it just seems really off to me i don't know how to put it i mean i'm a critical person when i watch things carefully but sometimes initially i'll let a lot of things pass but when something just kind of rubs you the wrong way the first time you watch it you're just kind of like something's not right here i don't know what it is you know if it's just me or when you say the performances tim you mean the musical performances yes yes yeah no i I understand that it's because you only literally get a couple of seconds of a song and then he'll kind of dissolve into another song right and it's yeah you never get a grip on it but i think interestingly that's kind of i can sort of understand your point of view but i don't think alan rudolph was interested in that part of it it's more about the relationships and the characters it just so happens that it's set in this milieu to use a pretentious word yeah slowly Cursing the freedom she'd won From the torture she vowed not to take anymore And the victim she'd almost become At the end of last month's episode, where you announced that this was the film that we were going to be watching, Bernie, and I mentioned, oh yeah, I had really, really liked it when I first saw this, and I watched this sort of like as extra homework when we were talking about Outlaw Blues. This time around, I still really liked it, but I worked out for me what was the big flaw, and I know that some people might say, well, I don't have a heart, but I think that there is a potential here for a really great satirical piece, and... And the problem is that it has a heart. Some people might say, well, that's a strength. And I sort of thought that was a weakness. So we have the potential here for a really great satire on the workings of the music industry or the country music industry. I mean, there was a potential here for it to be maybe not ever necessarily as good, but it could have been like the sting, a minor version of the sting. But Willie Nelson cares for two women in his life. One is his ex-wife played by Melinda Dillon, who he knows he's ignored at the expense of his music career and then there's his client played by leslie ann warren i'm about to make a big fool out of myself who has a huge inferiority complex and certainly has, I think, some mental health issues. He looks after her, and when she's making a hit on him, he refuses to take the bait. He knows that she's vulnerable, so he has a lot of heart. And that can warm me to the character, but I sort of liked the idea of this being just one big satire on the country music industry. I mean, like, when we were talking back, whenever it was, a couple of years ago about Payday, and that was all dramatic rather than satire, but it- 
never lost focus of the fact that this was going to be a dark film. This was this man's journey or his spiraling down and he was an asshole and it never tried to show, oh, but he's got a, a good heart side to him. No, they kept their eyes on the ball as it was. And as I said, look, I still like songwriter a lot, but I would have liked to have seen what could it have been if it had purely been about Willie Nelson trying to get his songwriting royalties back from Radio Rocky. So what you're saying is that this should have been directed more by somebody like Abel Ferrer or something. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been an interesting thing. More raw or just more is what it is. Yeah. 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 We all know that in a lot of films where they want to get through something really quickly, there's the montage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know where you're going. All right. So, you know, we've seen it in hundreds of films and, you know, the three that always come to my mind, particularly a Rocky, the training sequence, uh, the the commitments where the band members are getting to know one another or we're getting to see them do their thing in their environment and School of Rock being where the kids are being absorbed in learning how to be rock stars. It's all about that. That let's get this quick progression. I don't know about you. Maybe if either of you guys can think of another film, but this is the first film I can think of where the montage has been at the very beginning of the film. I don't know whether it was that Bud Shrake and Alan Rudolph had actually filmed a ton more stuff and then decided, now we're going to shorten this down, or it was right. always their intention to make the first five, six minutes of the film into a montage. And they have Chris Christopherson doing this narration, which is a device they never return to anywhere else in the film. And, you know, that's an, an interesting thing, because there's two kind of mindsets, as far as I'm concerned. One where somebody would say, well, it doesn't matter who directs said actor, I can watch them in anything, because I know that they're going to be who they're going to be. But then there's the other set of saying, well, no, it it entirely depends on the director who's directing these people because if you don't have the right director or you don't have people going off on their own visions or their own kind of tangents, it doesn't matter how well the actors act because it's going to feel like they're just off. I think you can certainly say that the tone of the film is uneven. The sort of montage you're talking about at the start does lean quite heavily into comedy in places and there are one or two moments in the film where it seems to almost want to go in that direction but even though it's quite a light film it doesn't sort of come across as an outright comedy you know when's the last time you bought any bull semen pal it's a hundred thousand dollar bull right Well, that comes back to the point I was making about this could have been a great satire, and satires are not always laugh-out-loud funny. To me, the conclusion of the film, it's subjective as to whether you say that was good or not. I mean, personally, I really, really liked it, but that's part of that satire that I wish there'd been a lot more of. Sure, yeah, yeah. That opening five or six minutes of montage really sets you up to thinking, yeah, we're going to be getting a satire, and we get a ton of story in six minutes. We see the three of them performing on stage, in some dive that's Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson and Melinda Dillon and Dillon and Nelson getting married. Willie Nelson deciding he's going to branch out and buying livestock. They're recording in a studio. Melinda Dillon is pregnant, forming at a New Year's Eve party with Dillon as mother. And by the end of the opening credits, he's been divorced twice and signed to the shady publisher, Rodeo Rocky, and he's running a restaurant. And that's a lot of story to cover in six minutes. Right, but you know what? I think if you look at it like this, though, what you're talking about with the satire and the whole a lot to swallow, if you really look at country music, how much country music is, one, tongue-in-cheek, 
Two, it's all about, you know, like that old joke, what do you get when you play country western backwards? You get your wife back, you get your truck back, you get your dog back. (laughs) I mean, it's that whole story about loss. That's the country and western. The life is is the song. You know, it's just like you've been through a couple of marriages, you've had a hard, rough and tumble, you lost it all, but you're still chugging along. And what you're seeing in those six minutes is almost like a country song in itself. Break a man Break a promise Break a heart Break a home Going back to something you said earlier, Tim, as well, about the music performances i got to be honest, this is not the greatest no. set of tunes from either of the leads in this. None of them are particularly memorable. You kind of feel like even if you actually got complete performances of some of these songs, they wouldn't be um, classics, they wouldn't be sticking in your head, you know? It, it could have been too where, look, the studio could have said, we're paying you enough to be in the movie as actors, we're not going to pay you guys anymore to get the rights for your full songs or, or the good ones. And I guess, to be honest, this period for both of them as well is not necessarily thought of as a, a you know the watermark yeah. yeah 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 this is yeah. a sort of classic period for Willie or Chris well it was only one year after this that they started up the highwayman wasn't it so that was probably right. um them climbing back up to the top of the mountain. I don't know, maybe it's because I don't have as much of a history with either of these gentlemen as musicians that I was listening through these songs and I actually rather liked them. And, you know, maybe if I'd sort of like, you know, had a hundred Willie albums or so many Chris Christopherson albums, I might have thought differently. But I was actually sort of rather taken with some of these songs. I mean, the musical performances that didn't really do it for me were the ones sung by Leslie Ann Warren and that was more Mm -hmm. maybe a objective thing about her voice didn't sort of so much grab me. The other thing I was going to sort of point out in terms of the songs is that even though this is not a traditional musical in the sense of a song being a replacement for dialogue like they used to do in classic Hollywood musicals, but it seems to be deliberately a song that's appropriate for wherever it's performed. So the very end of the film, and it's spoiler but not spoiler, where Rodeo Rocky is flat on his back and they put a set of headphones on his ears and as a parting gift, Willie Nelson's character has written him the song, songwriter. Write it down, what you found out, songwriter. Don't let it all slip away. This is what we go through. Uh, songwriters just keep doing what you do. And it's sort of this farewell gift because at one point in the film, Radio Rocky is saying, You great songwriter! You're a genius! What do you write for me? Nothing! You're a genius or a songwriter. Why? You're giving me shit. Why don't you give me something? And so this is his gift to him saying, Right, well, this is what songwriters do. There's the moment where Willie Nelson goes to visit his ex wife and sings this song, Hauled by My Memories. A few old dreams that I can't use Who'll buy my memories Of things that used to be which is a song of regret, thinking, I know I was an asshole to you, and I regret that for the rest of my life. And then there's also the moment where Doc and Blackie are writing together in the hotel room, and they're singing this song, Eye of the Storm. Maybe you bought all 
lies that she told you and maybe they tore you apart Baby, she shrugged off your finest emotions Carelessly walked on your heart about appreciating what they have when life gets shitty, which is pretty much where their characters are at that point of the film. And it's subjective, but I actually really like those songs. Do you know, now you're saying this, Morris, I'm, I'm thinking those two Willie Nelson songs particularly are actually both really good, aren't they? A slight tangent as well, the, the scene where uh, Willie goes back to see his ex and plays her that song, and then his daughters come in and they, they sort right. of sit down and play guitar together. If you weren't Willie touched ne- by that scene, you've, you've got no soul, man. I thought that was beautiful. Right. With Willie Nelson's music, you got great Willie Nelson songs, and then you have songs that are just less great. It, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no bad songs, they're just less great. There's a song that he put out about six seven years ago on an album it was also called the songwriters and i thought in a way original thing i was ashamed this didn't end up in the film but it's sort of in a way a companion piece we get to tell all our secrets in a code no one understands we get to shoot all the bad guys and never get blood on our hands if the song songwriter in the film is sort of like something that he would put out to his fellow songwriters, keep up the good fight. This other song called The Songwriters is more like something that he gives to his audience saying, hey, appreciate what we do. It's another waltz and he sings, we get to break out of prison, have beer for breakfast in Boston, drink rum in Jamaica later that night. We're students, we're teachers, we're the devil, we're preachers. We love, but mostly one-nighters, we're the songwriters. And it's basically saying, right, we get to do all this stuff. We live vicariously vicariously through others experiences and you as music lovers get to live vicariously through our experiences i would have loved it if you'd written that 30 years ago and had that in the film as well but i love great songs about the art of songwriting and that is such a fantastic song but that's not in the film take another 500 out of there for dino calling me an alcoholic son of a bitch the only reason I drink is so people won't think I'm a dope fiend. It was interesting how it could have been really easy for Rip Torn to basically just redo his character from Payday in this. And I like how he just fits in. It would be hard for a lot of actors to come across as being a country and western performer and being in the industry beside guys who really are like Chris and Willie. But I think Rip Torn just he nails it in this. I gotta say, his accent was uh, not entirely convincing. Doc, they could have screwed us real bad on that. They're gonna sell everything belt buckles, binoculars, caps, t shirts, piss warm beer, picture programs, popcorn, peanuts, oh, shoot, match. We don't have to do nothing. No. <laughs> <laughs> But otherwise, I think you're right, Tim, yeah. I don't know, he's just one of those guys that I imagine he probably drank an awful lot to prepare for the role. He's just ripped on, isn't he? He's just got it. As I said at the start, this is the third film I've seen him involved in where he's got something to do with the music industry. So there was Payday where he's on the other side. He's the performer rather than the management. He's a character with his demons. And then the other film that I remember him from was One Trick Pony, which was Paul Simon's, I don't know how autobiographical, 
autobiographical that was, but you know, that was about him being probably not autobiographical because he's basically playing a musician who was a has-been and just basically trying to keep his head up on the road. And Riptorn plays a record label head honcho who's trying to get him in. The thing that Songwriter has in common with One Trick Pony is in both films, a major character sleeps with Riptorn's wife. But of course, in Songwriter, the Riptorn character isn't going to put up with that shit. You know what was a real tragedy of the 70s? Not to go off on a tangent, but just for a second. Real tragedy of the 70s was the fact that we never, ever got a buddy cop movie with Rip Torn and Dennis Hopper. <laughs> I'd, I'd pay to see that. He was like Hopper. Didn't matter what he was in. He was So who's he playing? Rip Torn. Yeah, I know, but who's he playing in the movie? He's ripped on. <laughs> you know, he's just, he just is who he is. See, the thing that I sort of got confused about at the start of the film, when we first see him, we sort of think, all oh, right, he's going to be the villain of the piece, and he's right. not. So the first time we see his character, basically he's gone and booked Chris Christopherson's character for a gig that he knows he's not going to show up, but he's going to put someone else on stage so he doesn't have to give the ticket money back to the audience. He packs a pistol in his shoes in case there's any danger as Michael Corleone said in The Godfather it's not personal it's strictly business once Chris Christopherson does roll up to the gig and then threatens violence if he doesn't get his $5,000 for the show that he does do what one song for from then on it's strictly business there's no animosity there's nothing bad and they say right well okay what can you do for us for another gig I can introduce you to this great female singer who will absolutely knock your socks off strictly business but there's another telling moment where Rip discovers that one of the members of the band has been sleeping with his wife, takes him out and basically, you know, shoots a, a glass of beer off his head just to scare him. Put that around on top of your head. Fixing to kill old Sam. Try to see whether my nerves are under control. I think Willie Nelson says to him, I underestimated you, Dino. Oh, you son of a bitch, dead sort of shows yeah it's a lot of its business but even he has his moments of pride even he has his feelings so I, there's nothing complex in this film but as close as there is to showing a three-dimensional character that's his moment and i really really like that moment in the film right when i ran to the store with a penny and when youth was abundant and plenty Classify these as good times. Good times. There was one other thing I wanted to sort of like come back to the notion of Willie and Chris as partners in this film. And I, I think that they had the on-screen chemistry. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying it was the greatest acting that you've ever seen, but they had this honesty that could only come from a couple of guys who had known each other as country musicians for years. <clears throat> and every time, you know, that they're together on the screen, and it's not actually that much in the film, only a handful of scenes, because a lot of it's them separated. <clears throat> But when they're together, for me, it really, really worked. And I got to sort of thinking about another musician pairing that didn't quite happen, but was threatened to have happened and I think would have been absolutely horrible. And that is in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the original characters are supposed to be played by David Bowie and Mick Jagger. And I just sort of thought, oh, that would not have worked. And I think those two, you know, they obviously would have been around each other for many, many years, but they I doubt they would have had the honesty that Willie and Chris did. Now, I guess maybe Willie and Chris were playing themselves. That's what I was going to 
say is that when you see them, there's not a lot of acting there. It's just them being them. It's just like, here, put on this country and western gear. What, you mean like the shirt on the, the million shirts I've already got in my closet? You know, <laughs> it's not a stretch is what I'm trying to say by any means. And I think both of them are just naturals. Yes. There was a film I saw Willie in years ago, believe it or not, with Gary Busey called Barbarossa. And that was a period western. And that's a stretch for Willie. But him and his element like this, no, not at all. I think I read somewhere where Willie Nelson said he was never going to try acting in a film again. Though There was a, a point where he'd been trying to put himself into another character and then he just said, no, I'm just going to be myself from here on in. This film definitely is one of those films. And in a way, I'm sorry, I didn't get the time to watch the couple of telemovies, A Pair of Aces and Another Pair of Aces, which I think might be on Tubi. Because if you can imagine, once again, I think those films are with Chris Chris Christopherson being the small town cop and Willie Nelson is the crook who's supposed to aid him. So that's, right. I mean, how, how many films have that like that been done? Is that like a 48 hours, a mile to 48 hours sort of thing? And I just forgot too, also that Willie plays a musician in Wag the Dog. Yes, yes. Oh, he's so funny in that. Uh, and But oh, yeah. he, essentially, he's just being himself in that. Right. And again, there's no stretch by any means. He's just doing what he does. And you see, that's when I come back to what I said at the start of the show, which was this film had the potential to be great satire. And the first film that I thought of was Wag the Dog, which to me is one of the great satirical films about politics rather than, uh, or politics and media presentation rather than country music. But I think that this film... Maybe, I don't know, with better writer or better direction could have achieved that. Look, I'm still going to stick by the fact that I really, really like Songwriter, but I think in some regards it was an opportunity missed. But for me, it's still a film I'm glad that I had a chance to watch again. Any more thoughts? This might be a short show. It's, uh, I think it is a messy film, I will admit. But, uh, you know, I think it's about, like I say, relationships. People and relationships and situations in life kind of is messy. Friendships are messy. Romantic relationships are messy. And mm. business deals and work is can, can be messy. And I think whether intentionally or not, I think it does a fairly good job in, in capturing that. Yeah, it's kind of light, light-hearted. It doesn't go for the jugular and perhaps in the way that you would have liked Morris, but yeah, I just think it was quite a nice, enjoyable, feel-good film, and sometimes that's kind of enough for me, you know? I like the fact that by the end of the film, Willie Nelson... Chris Christopherson and Rip Torn have finally pulled their sting on Richard Serafian's character mm-hmm. and yet it's still not nasty. They got what they wanted <laughs> but by giving him that song, songwriter, putting on his head, say, here, you can publish this, you can still make some money. Yeah, I've taken my million dollars off you for a country singer who's basically who's going into not gonna sing country anymore yeah (laughs) not gonna sing country so yeah i've screwed you around the way you screwed me around but here take this song do what you want with it if it's a million solo go with my blessing it didn't have a nasty aftertaste i sort of like that had that sweet sort of ending Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, it's it's got its flaws but i think there's a lot to like about this film right well you know like you said about where the satire aspect of what you were talking about earlier and also with payday like they could have easily looked at a film like this and gone the kind of dark country route you know like something like you know with like with cocaine rhinestones podcast you know like the whole underbelly of country and they could have made the uh, rodeo character a lot more devious or 
they could have uh, had a lot more animosity in this. Well, when uh, there's a lot of guns that are pulled in this, strangely, because uh, apart from that one scene with Riptor and shooting the, the beer glass off that guy's head, um, yeah. you know, the guns don't ever get fired. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they could have definitely uh, gone a different yeah, route with it. But they yeah. didn't. With the director coming in at such short notice, not really being probably being able to have any say over mm-hmm. how he wanted this to go. The director having to just go with the script and not really having the time to put his own spin on this. Having the draws of Chris and Willie, they would want to pull in a large audience. Because this came out, what, mid-80s? 84. 84, yeah. Mm. 84, right. So, I mean, around that time, the drive-in circuit and more people going to the theater, they'd probably want to try to um, target this to a wider audience. And they're not going to do it with, you know, stories of barroom brawls and cocaine and false redemption and all that kind of thing. So You could definitely, you could draw a straight line from this to something like, uh, I guess, Smokey and the Bandit, as ridiculous as it sounds. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or else Willie would go on. No, I think Honeysuckle Rose came out before this. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was maybe 80. Right. I was going to say, you know, you can draw lines from that to this, too. Look, for anyone out there who's listened to this point, I should say that the film is available on Tubi, American Tubi. So if you're living outside of the States and you have a VPN, you know what to do. And maybe on American Prime as well. So it is out there and relatively easily accessible in the Northern Hemisphere. And if you've got, once again, as I said, if you've got a VPN, then it's accessible that way. How many cowboy hats? Would you recommend this? Do you know, I I just listed it on my uh, letterbox earlier and I gave it three and a half out of five. So I I would stick with that. I'd say this is a rainy Sunday afternoon movie. You know, it doesn't color too far outside the lines and it's enjoyable. Mm. I'd definitely give it a, a thumbs up. This is something that people can watch and enjoy. And as you say, Tim, yeah, it's a good Sunday afternoon movie. Yeah, look, I still came away smiling from it. And geez, in 2021, something that makes you smile, that's got to be worth something. So for sure. I guess one thing that we've discovered that uh, over, including my last pick as well, is that uh, my wheelhouse is obviously slightly above average films with a country music theme. (laughs) 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 So I guess guess that's my niche. I look forward to your next pick then. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to start digging now, won't I? But yeah. I'd be wondering what he'd be thinking of this. He'd probably say, this is a chunk of shit. But I'd be interested to get an official verdict from Tyler Mahan Co. You mentioned before. Oh, I'm sure he would uh, hate this, yeah. So many people got so many lines. They've all been tried and it's true. They've all got so many reasons for changing your mind. And there ain't none of them know. So that's August C here. So next month will be September and it will be Tim's pick for movies. So pretty much the rest of the year we think that we're going to be doing these round tables again. We've missed them, we enjoy them. Maybe look for a few interviews next year, but yeah, we're returning for a while to our round tables because we really enjoy these. So Tim, your pick for next month. Well, I thought I'd uh, change things up a little bit, reel things back in a little locally to a Canadian film from the 1980s from an animation studio known as Nelvana. And I'm talking about, for Canadians that know, the legendary film known as Rock and Rule, Rock and Roll Fantasy, the Faustian tale through animation. Yeah, I thought this would be a little different because, I mean, 
You know, when most people think about animated rock and roll films, you know, we have covered American pop in the past. Mm-hmm. And some people have requested heavy metal. And I'm just like, well, that's too on the nose. But this is an obscure little nugget that I think a lot of people would enjoy. And for any of you listeners out there who want to follow along, the film is in its entirety on YouTube. No subscription needed. Bonus. Yep. Just follow the bouncing ball. It'll be nice to occasionally have a film that our listeners can actually watch before they listen to us <laughs> talk about it. You know, once in a while, that'd be okay. All right. All the usual sort of stuff. People want to get in contact with us. You can write us at seeherepodcast at gmail.com. I should also say we're part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. Over 70 other music discussion related shows. Please go to pantheonpodcast.com and see what else they have in line for you. Some really great shows over there. Our Facebook group is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash see here. Instagram is at see here podcast. So, uh, look us up and follow us you'll have some good photos from the film this month no doubt people with beards going to be several pictures of people with beards this month (laughs) (laughs) and not young hipsters either and and not Morris or Tim speaking (laughs) of people with with beards we got to put out mad respect to the late legendary Dusty Hill yeah yeah I was going to say Sonny Chiba and I was thinking uh, when did he have a beard (laughs) (laughs) thanks very much out there for listening if you've enjoyed what you've heard please recommend us to some of your friends if you haven't enjoyed what you've heard recommend us to some of your enemies just recommend us whatever you do that's right and you'll always find something on see here that you'll like you know if you hear one episode and the film doesn't strike your fancy go and grab another episode because there's always going to be something that you'll find that'll be in your wheelhouse one way or another because as we said years ago well how many episodes can we do on music based film and we've found that it's just it's endless so as I like to sort of promote this podcast we're the one podcast that finds a link between Gigi Allen and Yellow submarine right and now we've gone from gg allen to willie nelson so there you go i don't know gg allen willie oh yeah. and gg allen yellow submarine and yellow is the color of urine isn't it yeah yeah there you go god we've gone and brought the tone of this classy show down yes as if such a thing were possible <laughs> right we found it all right before we go completely downhill i'll say i can't say howdy because we're finishing the post uh we'll be seeing you later on y'all later goodbye It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 